So you always want to be prepared to... To set goals. To be really disruptive. Diversity is fundamental. It is just trusting those super strengths. To recover from those failures and, and learn from them. Humility looks like the softest word, but it's kind of the hardest. We ourselves are in beta mode. Life goes on. Sporting Edge, inside the mind of champions. Welcome to the Inside the Mind of Champions podcast. My name is Jeremy Snape. I'm a former England cricketer with a master's degree in sports psychology. Since retiring, I've been fortunate to work with and interview some of the world's most successful thinkers and performers. And I'm passionate about translating their habits and routines into practical strategies to help you become more successful. In each episode, I'll be dissecting a common performance challenge to help you improve your mindset, your leadership and your team performance. To me, our mindset is the next frontier. So let's find out why. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. Thanks so much for everyone who's written in via hello at sportingedge.com regarding our new interactive white paper, which is called The Five Strategies to Optimise Hybrid Working. It really seems to have resonated with so many businesses that are wrestling with this new balancing act. Do we bring people back or let them maintain this newfound autonomy? And how do we engage new starters and maintain our culture when we're not face-to-face as much as we used to be? They're massive questions and the white paper showcases the thoughts of some of the experts that we've interviewed and that feature in the show, providing loads of tips and strategies to apply to your teams. So if you haven't got your copy yet, then just head over to sportingedge.com and you'll see it under our resources tab. It's completely free and we can keep the conversation going with uh, lots of discussion on LinkedIn or just get in touch with me via email to let me know what you think. So today's Mastermind episode takes us inside the mind of a thoroughly impressive individual, a proven leader and a new author who's written a brilliant book. It's called The Habit of Excellence, Why British Army Leadership Works. And it explores the army doctrine and how it can be applied to everyday life. Here's a taste of what's to come. You can train people and educate people on leadership. But it's actually in the day-to-day, it's in our everyday experiences that we really develop as leaders. So I think the key for any leader is to realise that they're there to serve others. So I think followership is a fascinating subject that is not talked about enough. It's something that we need to discuss more as leaders because it's the other side of the coin, right? You can't have a leader without a follower. I do fear that in this current age where we have a growing sense of individual rights and expectations that we're losing that sense of responsibility. That was the voice of Lieutenant Colonel Langley Sharp, MBE. He's the former head of the Centre for Army Leadership at Sandhurst Royal Military Academy. Langley himself graduated from Sandhurst two decades ago and his career in the Parachute Regiment included deployments to Northern Ireland, Macedonia, Afghanistan and Iraq. Among his many varied roles, he's led counterinsurgency task force operations, commanded a parachute regiment battalion and delivered the Ministry of Defence's training programme 
for the London 2012 Olympics, for which he was awarded an MBE. Like many top military leaders, they speak with such modesty and downplay any of their achievements, almost to the point where you hear a massive clash in open warfare gets called a scuffle and a gaping wound gets described as a minor scratch. But that aside, his interview is packed with insight and I really hope it inspires you with where you are today in your career. I wanted to warm Langley up about the kind of mindset and characteristics that he'd seen in the elite performers he'd worked with for around 20 years. And here was his initial response. I think it's those that have um, an absolute passion and desire and inner drive to succeed. Um, and they, they don't take no for an answer. And we all hit problems and issues and challenges along the way, whether it be in business, life, in sport, uh, the military or elsewhere. And it's about consistently seeking a way to get around those problems and challenges. And, and um, so that desire to excel in everything you do. But it's also those that have the ability to operate most effectively with others because you can't succeed in life on your own. And so it's individuals that have the, I say soft skills, the human skills rather than the soft skills, which are in fact the hard skills, the human skills to really work with others, to influence others, to work for and with them, um, to drive towards that common goal, that shared purpose. Uh, that ultimately delivers collective success. So there's definitely a steely inner drive, a relentless quest for personal excellence that can withstand any adversity and setback. But there's also an awareness of self and others and the ability to adapt to be a team player to get the job done. These two dimensions of excellence aren't always seen together but I found it really interesting that Langley almost instinctively outlined that you can't be an excellent individual without being able to operate effectively in a team of others. Now, we have to be careful drawing too strong a parallel to the adversity and pressure that the military operators face, because that is just incredible. But if you're in our community, then you'll know that we're always looking to draw any parallels back from the world of music or the performing arts or business or elite sport into our own world rather than go to the specific operating context that our experts come from. And that's why to me, things like pressure can be the same for somebody in a family context or a Cirque du Soleil performer or an entrepreneur entering a meeting to save their business or a sports star coming back from a massive error on the field. The psychology, what goes on in our brain is just the same. And we see that challenge in front of us actually outstripping our personal coping resources. And that can feel scary, whichever context you're in. So when we turn to leadership, given that Langley was commissioned to articulate the army leadership doctrine in layman's terms in his great book, the obvious next question was to get him to define his view of leadership. The essence of leadership, right? So when I boil down leadership, what is it? It's about an individual inspiring another individual to achieve an outcome. So when I've looked at, when I've been asked before, how do you inspire people? You almost, when you hear a question like that, you think it's a bit of a black art, you know, you need to be a highly skilled salesperson or negotiator, but actually we all inspire every single day. That's our role as leaders. And I think it's about, um, 
it's about communicating where we want to go to. What is our purpose, and, and what is what is our what is our end state? What is our goal? Um, it's about communicating the journey of how we're going to get there. But I think critical in in effectively communicating with people is making them feel that they are part of that journey. They're a critical part of that journey, and you're all going to go on it together. It's not the leader charging forward and everyone falling in behind. It's got to be a collective en endeavour. And I think that's the way you can inspire people the most is bringing them on, bring them with you and including them in the conversation. And that's why you know, true, genuine, effective leadership is about understanding where you want to get to. It's corralling the ideas and the, and the, and the, um, and the perspectives of, of every individual in your team. Diverse a team, as we often talk about, as possible to, to, to get that real breadth of cognitive diversity. But then when decisions are made, you're falling behind the, the, that decision and, and go forward together. So I think it's about clear purpose and about um, and bringing your team with you and, and making sure they feel part of that journey. So again, a really simple definition of leadership, being an individual who inspires someone else to achieve a goal. Despite the traditional ranks of the army, that didn't feature. This sounds like an interpersonal approach which embraces creating a vision, compelling storytelling, and that interpersonal care and communication skill that engages people to become part of the story and the solution themselves. So this sounds like everyone could be a leader, that it's a mindset rather than a rank. But that could mean that anyone can be a leader any of the time and it could create chaos. Surely we need followers. And Langley was quick to jump in and reinforce this point. So I think followership is a fascinating subject that is not talked about enough. And I think it is, uh, it's something that we need to discuss more as leaders because it's the other side of the coin, right? You can't have a leader without a follower. And I think the, even the term follower or followership can be misrepresentative and seen from a negative perspective. It can be seen as servile and blindly following the leader. And it's not about that at all. Um, and it's also not a position, it's not a rank or title. It's about individuals understanding the intent and being proactive to act upon that intent to the best of their ability to always perform, to have the self-discipline to, to perform, to be loyal to the leader and vice versa, but also be willing to challenge and have the moral courage to stand up and challenge uh, when, when needed to. And obviously the leader's role in setting the conditions for that. And I've been led by people junior to me in, in rank, probably as much as I have those senior. Um, there are many times throughout my career whereby you know, the people that should lead in a particular point in time are those with the skills and the expertise to, to do so. And even though I may still be in command, I may have the ultimate authority for the actions of my team and my people, I'm more than happy to let others with, more, with greater skills, more appropriate skills or experience in a particular point in time uh, lead the way. Uh, and I think that takes from leaders, it takes humility, but it also takes that element of self-assuredness and that confidence, that inner confidence, not to, to be consumed by the power of your position but actually realise that everyone has a, a role to play and, um, and, and, and people across the team, wherever they are positioned in the team, can step forward and lead when, they, when the moment is right. So there's a fascinating paradox here in what Langley's saying. When we expect the alpha military male to step forward with courage and bark orders, actually, there may be more courage to step back 
and embrace different perspectives because all that matters is the quality of the decision rather than who came up with the ideas. And in an organisation renowned for its steep hierarchy and power gradient, we have a senior leader saying that he was led as much by his juniors as he was from his senior ranking officers. That takes much more skill and emotional awareness. But in a world that's moving at pace, where the next phase might not be obvious, it's really clever to bring in those with the greatest feel and expertise in a specific area to advisors. This ability to hold back our ego and let others take centre stage sounds great, but how often do we do it? So applying this to a wider context, whether it's the person in our team that understands the client relationship or they understand a piece of software, somebody in the team will have that expertise at that moment in time. And Langley's challenge to us is to see it and to give them the space to step into that. And the team can only be stronger by them taking that responsibility and contributing their expertise at that specific moment in time. So what about coping with the pressure, whether it's acute or it's more commonly that sustained exposure in the working environment, which threatens to break our spirit and affect our health? How did Langley cope with that? Both your world and my world are, are, are designed to, to compete under pressure. I mean, that's our whole raison d'etre is to be able to operate effectively under pressure. And the highest performing teams, of course, not only um, do well under pressure, but they, they thrive and they are built and designed and trained and develop their people to, to compete as best they can under pressure. And I think you, you almost have two aspects of pressure. There's the, the acute short term, the here and now, and, and the long term, the sustainable pressure. And of course, many people over the last couple of years through COVID and particularly in the business community and elsewhere, the NHS people have been under sustained pressure. And that is about looking after yourself, sleeping well, eating well, um, working with others, supporting one another. Um, and trying to get that balance that enables you to sustain pressure over the long term. Um, and I've been on, in a number of situations, uh, both on operations and in training, where you can physically feel yourself degrading over time because you're not sleeping properly, you're not eating properly, um, etc. But then there's the, 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 the acute sort of in-the-moment pressure. And, uh, and that could be quite difficult to, and challenging to deal with. And... And you almost need consistent exposure to that to really to be able to continue to develop. I love that differentiation between the acute and the chronic pressure. In the short term, we've heard how the military use high pressure, pace, surprise and overload to almost inoculate their soldiers to become accustomed to thinking calmly when under attack. It's like the fire, the intensity and the high stake consequences a part of their training every week in their drills so that when it actually happens in combat in real life, the soldiers are accustomed to it. So much of this is learning the visceral reaction to stress, controlling our mind, controlling our breathing, our posture, using those automated checklists and leaning on those disciplined routines that we've learned under pressure in those high pressure training sessions. But then that longer term pressure is less intense and can often go unnoticed. But it can also permeate every cell of our body and corrode our willpower and energy. 
In these situations, we need not only to have incredible self-awareness of when our batteries are running flat, but we also need our teammates and family members to keep an eye out for us. Often, they will be the first to see the signs when our behaviour starts to change before we do. The restless sleep, the short temper, the craving of sugary foods, or the need for alcohol to cope. These are the warning signs of the slippery spiral beginning, and we need to take a step back to prevent the real damage from happening. So I was interested in how Langley's personal energy management happens, because after all, even our military heroes are human. So I guess I've had various experiences of this throughout my career, and not always in the most, as you would envisage, in the most extreme environments of, of the battlefield, for example. Because actually, in some ways, that can be a little easier, because you've got one sole focus, you've got a higher risk threshold, um, and everyone is working towards one goal. That's all you've got to think about all day long. When you come back to life in barracks, normal life, you've got everything else to worry about. Um, relationships, kids, car breaking down, mortgage to pay, etc., etc. And so I think it's about in, in, in sustaining your energies, as you say, um, consistently and having those habits built in, whether it's eating healthy, eating consistently, definitely doing exercise. And obviously being part of the parachute regiment we pride ourselves on, on remaining fit but I think it's absolutely critical for for your mental health and endurance as much as it is your your physical and certainly for me that's that's one of my my outlets and of course sleep which I've I talk well about but probably don't do um, as, as well as I should do and, and one of the hardest periods that I found to control my energy levels was actually during COVID like many other people working from home we were particularly busy. We were, we were pushing the boundaries of the Central Army leadership and trying to grow that and, and, um, and leveraging the growth of the digital environment. And, uh, and we had a small team working really, really hard, but we found ourselves working really long days, stuck at home. And we couldn't, and like many people, couldn't di differentiate between home life and work life. And, um, and we were pretty drained uh, in a very short period of time. So the ability to get out, to have exercise, to, to have balance as well. Um, if, if, you, if you're going to sustain high performance at any level uh, over an enduring period, you've got to have balance. You've got to have balance with your work, you've got to have balance with your social life, you've got to balance with your, your mental and physical um, attributes. Um, but also, I think, having different, uh, different interests that enable you to, 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 to sort of balance your... your your, your, your mental aspect. Um, so you're not just focused purely on work or you're not just focused purely on, on family. Balance is absolutely critical, but it's easy to talk about, hard to do. So those same basic disciplines need to be in place for any of us to stay at our best through the adversity and uncertainty of the months that lie ahead. It's much easier to maintain something rather than start something. So if you need to get your well-being on track, Look at these simple habits and try and build them in around your morning exercise, your routines, your sleep, your hydration and your nutrition. As well as the physiological pillars, Langley also reminds us to take a step back from the pressure, to keep that perspective and actually to immerse ourselves in hobbies that engage us mentally and physically. Balance isn't just about working to full intensity and then stopping. 
It's about having a variety of modes and activities which we find fulfilling, like a bike ride, watching sport or going to the cinema. They are more energising for the brain than sitting down, stopping work and just staring at the wall, thinking about work. So we need to have this active recovery and this distraction. But when we're stuck in the thick fog of stress, we lose connection with others and we lose connection with ourselves, actually, in those wider pastimes, which give us so much joy and so much perspective in our normal routines. So if this message isn't quite on target for you at the moment, it may be in a few months. So maybe add a reminder to your calendar to look up and out to reconnect with friends and to do something fun. And maybe also you can spot one of your friends at the moment, maybe sliding into that fog, and you can invite them along to a social event or a day out. Handling pressure is a team sport, so let's look out for our teammates. So let's dive back into Langley's leadership wisdom. I should mention that these are just a few snippets from his interview, and it's whole interview is one of over a hundred global thought leaders that have contributed to our digital leadership library at Sporting Edge. Others include business leaders, leading academics and neuroscientists, and also some brilliant elite sports coaches that will be household names to you. So if you're a new visitor to our community and podcast, then go to sportingedge.com and you'll see in the members area that you can use the podcast 100 code as a discount code at checkout when you set up your account. There's absolutely no pressure to pay um, and you don't need to put your credit card in, but you'll see some incredible insights, some micro courses and some weekly challenges that we all get stuck into as a community. And you'll be joining some respected brands like BMW, KPMG, Herbalife and Citibank. And there's also some top elite sports teams in there too. So you're in good company. Let's dive back into Langley's insights, and this one explores the balance between personal freedom and personal responsibility. So I think the key for any leader is to realise that they're there to serve others. They're there to serve the people they lead. And it's averting that traditional concept of leadership with the leader at the top and the followers that sit beneath. And it's inverting that and realising that you are there to look up, serve, develop and get the very best out of your people. And if you do that, then you, you, uh, you, you build trust, you build respect, and you, you most effectively develop that leader-follower relationship. Um, and hence why it's about, important about knowing your people and doing your very best uh, for them. I think the other element that, I th- that is critical, both as a leader and a follower, is a sense of responsibility. And I, I do fear that in this current age where we have a growing sense of individual rights and expectations that we're losing that sense of responsibility. And as I say, as leaders and followers, we are responsible to ourselves, we're responsible to our teammates and our organisation. And ultimately for us, we're responsible to, to the mission that we're there to, to serve. And I love uh, Viktor Frankl's book. I think it's a fascinating book. Man's Search for Meaning. Um, Viktor Frankl was a Auschwitz survivor, spent three years in Nazi concentration camps, um, very famous psychologist. And he said that freedom is only half the truth and the other half is responsibleness. So the essence of life is being responsible. And he said, I recommend that the 
Statue of Liberty on the East Coast is supplemented by a Statue of Responsibility on the West Coast. And I thought that was wonderful. Again, we hear the traditional notions of military leadership being challenged in this insight. Things in the modern era are moving way too fast with different weapon systems and rapid deployment of technology. We can't have a command and control style of leadership with one leader who knows everything that's going on across the whole uh, terrain. We need this empowerment style of servant leadership where the senior leaders create the direction and the environment for success, but as many of the decisions as possible are pushed down as far as they can through the organisation to those in the front line, in the battlefield, in the military context, or as close to the customer as we can in business. This allows us to have more speed, more quality decision making where we need it. And, you know, we we don't have this brittle compliance where we're waiting for somebody up in the ivory tower to move another strategic piece. We've got people reading the game, reading the field out in the real world, making ethical and financial and strategic decisions where it really counts. If you're interested in learning more about how military leadership has changed, then I'd definitely recommend the book by the retired United States Army General Stanley McChrystal. It's called Team of Teams, and it's brilliant about how warfare has changed and this need for more uh, transparency and more information down through an organisation so that the teams on the ground can be more agile and more empowered to react very quickly to what's going on in front of them. So I definitely recommend Team of Teams. The other component that Langley mentioned is that as we gain more voice and freedom, we need to take more responsibility for our actions. These two factors are connected and need to be in balance, as Viktor Frankl's analogy of the statue of responsibility suggests. I wanted to take this to the next level down and find out what taking responsibility really looks like for a leader in the military context in adversity. And again, Langley raises this concept of moral courage. The army's values are start with courage. And there's a reason that courage comes at the beginning because that's deemed to be the most important value. They're all important, but courage is particularly important. And when people uh, think about, or non-military folk think about the, the, the military or the army, they tend to think of courage as physical courage. And of course, there is an aspect of that in, in, in the roles that we ultimately have to do. But day to day, what is uh, often actually more, more difficult is moral courage. And it's extremely important that leaders at any, and indeed followers at any um, uh, part of the team or organisation have moral courage. You should say it's, it's the ability and the courage to do the hard thing on a difficult day when no one's looking. Um, and, and really, I say this about leadership as well. Leadership is, is, is built up. You can train people and educate people on leadership, but it's actually in the day-to-day, -day, it's in our everyday experiences that we really develop as leaders. And it's the same with building moral courage. It's the everyday decisions, the micro decisions. Do you let something go by or not? Or do you say something? You know it's not quite right, but do you say something? You say something, says some, someone says something that perhaps is meant as a bit of banter, but it's actually offended someone. Do you step in and, and, and correct them? People are not quite delivering to the standards you expect or the organisation expects. Do you let it go or do you, do you say something? 
the, the classic line of the standard you walk by is the culture you set. And, and, you've, and, and it takes moral courage to, to do that consistently. And it's about balance and judgment, isn't it? About how, when to step in and, and when not. But as a leader, you're, you're, one of your primary roles is to set the, the climate and therefore longer term the culture of, of the organisation. And, and that absolutely takes, takes moral courage. This is such a powerful insight, because if we go back to Langley's definition of leadership, it was for one person to inspire another to achieve a goal. That's rarely judged in the short term. So it's actually about our day to day behaviours as leaders. And he says that if we walk past something, somebody being rude or somebody being demeaning or somebody cutting a corner on the quality of our work, then all we're doing is eroding the foundations of our culture. And that's based on this discipline and consistency. So leaders need that personal energy and that passion to stay true to their values and that quest for excellence. Again, discipline and consistency beat intensity. There's no point saying something is important in our team culture for a week and really meaning it passionately, but then getting sloppy on it after a few days. Long-term consistency shapes the culture, and as leaders, we need to honour those values, not just because someone's watching, because if we don't, it's our integrity that gets eroded, and when we lower our standards, our teams fall apart. Equally, if leaders can maintain this courage to do the right thing consistently in the long term, that too is contagious. And that's the essence of what's creating a high-performance environment. Each individual maintaining the highest standards to achieve that collective goal. Not because they have to, but because they want to. It's part of who they are. And that's incredibly inspiring. When we act out these high performance values consistently, we create a culture for the current team. With our short-term focus on results, we could see this as the end game in itself, that we create an environment that delivers results in the next quarter. But the mark of a great team is that those values are so deeply and passionately held and those routines and rituals and standards are held to such a high level over decades, that this era inspires the next and a legacy is left behind. Langley's final story articulates this circular effect of identity and purpose in high-performing organisations so beautifully. I think it's critical to any successful organisation, a sense of that collective identity, who you are, what you stand for, what you represent, what are the standards you're seeking to emulate and build upon? And what your part is in continuing that legacy, as James Kerr would say, that legacy of your team, your organisation, for the betterment of, of that going forward. And the Parachute Regiment for me is, I served 23 years in the Parachute Regiment, obviously it's a global brand and it's very much a part of my identity. I may, I may have moved on now, but it's still part of me and always will be. Um, and I think that, that inner, inner sense of belonging and identity is absolutely critical. And that's what people crave for in any walk of life, not just the military. And, and I opened my book, actually, in the preface with a, with a short vignette about... I was sat in the, a World War II Dakota on the 6th of June 2019 
on the 75th anniversary of the Normandy parachute descent. And that was the opening hours, 75 years before the opening hours of uh, Operation Overlord, which was the, the D-Day landings. And that was preceded by an 18,000 strong Allied force jumping into northern France. And as I sat on that plane, on that Dakota, which, was, which flew that night, sorry, on, on that day in, in, in the D-Day, and I looked up onto the inner fuselage, and there was um, writings, uh, um, signatures and, and messages that some of the original paratroopers that dropped that night had written. And one of them, very coincidentally, I took a photograph of it, and they said, Jock Hutton, Operation Overlord, Ranville, which is the, the village they dropped on, 5th or 6th of June, 1944, night drop. And I took a picture and I thought, wow, that's, that's a part of history. I'm here looking at someone who sat in this same aircraft 75 years before jumping into what was one of our, you know, one of our battle honours. Unbeknown to me, the same Jock Hutton was sat in another Dakota aircraft in, a, in an airfield in the UK about to take off and he was going to do a tandem drop onto the same drop zone that he jumped on 75 years before and I met him the next day. And for me that was a real sort of visceral representation of our history and the legacy that we were there and my friends and my colleagues and my fellow commanding officers around me were there to, to represent. And I realised then that our job was to continue that legacy uh, every day um, and to try and emulate the standards of the people that have come before us and hopefully set the standard for those coming after. Isn't that a stunning and heartwarming story? Jock Hutton and Langley Sharp were generations apart, but displayed the exact same moral courage needed to do the right things in difficult situations. And as a result, not only did they keep themselves and their colleagues safe, but they left an inspirational legacy that will last another 75 years. And I'm sure when they actually did meet up by that incredible coincidence, they hugged and had that special bond because they know they shared that collective sacrifice and identity of the paras. We're getting so many organisations contacting Sporting Edge at the moment with the key themes of personal resilience and leading teams through change and adversity. Well, these insights are right in the bullseye, so I really hope you found them inspirational from the parts of Langley's interviews that I've shared. That courage to do the right thing and not cut corners as individuals and as teammates is the standard we should all aspire to, whether we work in a school, a hospital or a corporate skyscraper. And ultimately, I suppose it's the difference between the world's best and the rest. The very best find a way within themselves to stay true to these highest values and priorities longer and more consistently than anyone else because ultimately that's what defines our work and our character please do share this episode with whoever you think could benefit i really hope it's been an inspiration it's a challenging time ahead so langley's lessons are so timely please have a look at his book it's a brilliant collection of insights from the british military and until next time stay strong and keep living out your values this week. We'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Mind of Champions. 
Connect with Jeremy's LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram links in today's show notes to receive the latest insights from his work. If you'd like to get access to Sporting Edge's digital library or book Jeremy for a conference speech or webinar, then please visit www.sportingedge.com or email hello at sportingedge.com.